Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be with you. We are um, in Parashat Va'era. We are deep in the heart of Exodus territory. The Jewish nation is caught in the land of Egypt and the Egyptians are persecuting the Jews. It's a story, of course, that we are very familiar with, not just through the parishes and the Torah, but also because we celebrate Pesach not too far away. Perhaps I shouldn't mention it for the ladies who are listening to the Shir. But uh, Pesach isn't too far away. And of course, we sit down at Seder night and we talk about all the troubles, trials, tribulations, challenges that we faced in Egypt and how we overcame them. And Moshe Rabbeinu, with God's help, led us out of Egypt and on our path to the Promised Land. But that's not where we are quite yet in Parshas Va'era. Let me quote you a posuk. Your source sheet should be available to you on the comment section if you're watching this on Zoom. But certainly if you're watching it on YouTube or listening to this on SoundCloud, um, you can uh, access the source sheet by clicking on the link and you'll be able to download it and take a look at it. And hopefully we'll, we'll be able to cover most of it. And of course, I welcome subscribers both on SoundCloud and on YouTube. All you need to do is click uh, on whatever it is that appears on the bottom of your screen, subscribe to my channel and you will be regularly updated when I upload a share and I look forward to welcoming you as one of my subscribers. It's a pleasure to welcome you on board the Pini Duna Lahagdul Torah or Adira Starship. We are bringing Torah to a new generation and in a new way. We want more and more people to be able to access the uh, wonderful treasures of Torah that we can share. So please join me and subscribe. Let's begin with a posuk. It's in Perik uh, Zion. Uh, posuk Hey of Shmois. It's in Parshas Vaera. Vyodu Mitzrayim ki ani Hashem. Says Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu. God says to Moses, And the Egyptians shall know that I am God. Binatoisi es yodi al Mitzrayim. When I stretch out my hand over Egypt. Vohitesi es bene Yisrael mitoichom. And I will take the children of Israel from their midst. We'll begin today with a Degel Machane Ephraim. Now the Degel Machane Ephraim I'm very fond of. Do you know why? Because my wife Sabine is a direct descendant of the Degel Machane Ephraim. Of course the Degel Machane Ephraim was a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. And even though I'm not descended from the Baal Shem Tov, all my children are. So it's a great pleasure to be able to introduce a piece from the Degel Machne Ephraim into this shir. The Degel Machne Ephraim is a little bit puzzled by this posuk, and he quotes his grandfather the Baal Shem Tov in order to make sense of it. I'm going to read you this piece. The posuk that he begins his piece with is It's at the beginning of Vaera. I have now heard the moaning of the Israelites. 
because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. That's what Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu at the beginning of Parshas Vaera when he goes over the covenant that he had with Avraham, with Yitzchak and with Yaakov with regard to uh, the fact that the Jewish nation will go through a difficult period but they will emerge victorious. They will emerge from slavery into freedom and that they will inherit the promised land. So this posuk becomes a platform, becomes a springboard for this particular piece of the Degel Machne Ephraim. Yesh lahoir bozeh tevas ma'avidim, says the Degel Machne Ephraim. The word ma'avidim is a bit of a strange word. It's a little heavy. It's a little excessive. It's a bit tough. Why? Shupayel yoytse. It's, it's somehow a little bit more expressive in terms of what it's trying to say than the word that should have been used. You don't need to say that they were ma'avidim oisam. Ma'avidim is heavy. It means that they were somehow taxed beyond their capacity. It would have been fine to say that Egypt was enslaving the Jews without using the word ma'avidim. You could have used the word oivdim. V'yesh lefarish. But I have an explanation, says the Degel Machne Ephraim. And he goes back to the Posuk that I began this year with, which is that Mitzrayim will know, the Egyptians shall know that I am God. My grandfather had a question about this particular Posuk. Listen to this question. It's an important question. It's a question that you may have been puzzled by in the countless sedorim, the seders that you have had every Pesach. If you're going to look at this with a cold, calculated, um, unemotional eye, you're looking at this rationally. It's extremely puzzling that God would have made all these incredible signs, wonders and miracles which somehow completely go against the natural order of events. They go against physics, against chemistry, against biology, against the way the world should run. Why would God have upended the natural order of events, the way that the world should run, just so that he could show the Egyptians, I am God? Really? God is so insecure? He needs to show the Egyptians, I'm God, you're wrong. By the way, you worship idols, but you're wrong. I'm God. And do you know how I'm going to show you I'm God? I'm going to upend all the laws of physics and chemistry and biology and everything else that you know to be true in order to prove that I am God. You see that? I'm stronger than your guys. Really? God suffers from low self-esteem? It doesn't make any sense, says the Baal Shem Tov. 
Why would God need to demonstrate to people who don't believe in him that he exists? Either they believe in him or they don't. That's their choice. We know that the entire creation was created on the basis of free choice. Why does God need to demonstrate his power and his might through the subversion of the natural order? It makes no sense whatsoever, says the Baal Shem Tov. It's a good question, right? You have to agree. It's a very, very good question. The Egyptians simply aren't worth it. They're not worth the effort. Why should God get out of bed, as it were, just to show the Egyptians that he exists? Who cares what they think? They're not that important. They think they're important. They're important to each other, but they're not important in the big scheme of things. And in the big scheme of things, God is God, whether the Egyptians believe in him or they don't. So why did God do all the things that he did in order to demonstrate that he was God? That's the question that Baal Shem Tov asked. He clearly didn't have an answer, but his grandson, the Degel Machne Ephraim, the ancestor of my children, has the following answer. Ulefianias Daiti says, in my humble opinion, Nire Poshut, I have a very simple explanation as to why God did this. Shebe'emes koi al Yisrael, oisom shehem bechinas mitzrayim. It's such an important message. I cannot even begin to tell you how important it is. There are Jews, God believers, who've been drawn to Mitzrayim. They've become more Egyptian than the Egyptians themselves. That's who God was referencing when he said, V'yodu Mitzrayim ki Hashem. It's those Egyptians the Jews who are Egyptians, that I need to demonstrate to that I am God. They have become so Egyptian, they have been completely drawn into the culture of Egypt. They have become more Egyptians, more Egyptian than the Egyptians. They themselves epitomize the message and the culture of Egypt. It's frightening. And everything that they do in which they pay lip service to God is a lie. God decided, he made a decision. I am going to create a situation where it's going to become so clear that I am God. My Godliness will become so clear and so evident. Can you imagine that? God said, you know what? Those Jews who are on the edges, who are on the fringes, they're outsiders. They are Mitzrayim. I am going to show them through what it is that I do in Egypt that I am God. And they're going to be able to see with such great clarity that despite their affinity to the culture of Egypt, that they've made a mistake and that I am God. Um, 
וידעו כי אין שום דבר מבלעדי. רק אני השם, I am God, ומבלעדי אין אלוהים, and besides for me there is no God, there is nothing worth focusing on, there is no other aspect of creation or of reality which is worth even giving the minutest amount of attention toward. How are they going to know that? Because they're going to see the ten plagues. They're going to see the nisim, the niflois, the oisois, the moifsim. They're going to see everything and they're going to understand immediately that those who are drawn into sheker, that sheker has overtaken them in every aspect of their existence, it's not worth it. Ye yerida they will collapse completely, they will disappear, they will disintegrate, they cannot possibly survive. But somebody who has even the slightest aspect, a grain of truth, that's what Nekudosh al-Emes is, a grain of truth. They have the ability to rise above it all. They have the ability, in their sincerity of truth, even if they've been caught up in the culture of lies, to rise above it and somehow to become even greater than the sum of their parts. And in that way, when they are able to completely get rid of the aspects of their reality, which are fake, which are false, which are unreal, they have, they can soar to the highest level. They, the, the emuna, the faith that they can have will be strengthened in their heart. Bakal, it will be easy. Once they realize that all the things they believed in are fake, all the things that they consider to be important and true are actually lies and nonsense. They can strengthen the faith in their heart. At that moment, it will become clear to them, evident to them in every possible way. That all the things they thought were false are true. And all the things that they thought were true are false. And that the only most important aspect of life is to believe in God and to know that God guides the world and that God is the essence of creation. And that our existence here owes itself in every aspect of our lives to God's existence and God's relevance to every different aspect and corner of our lives. That is an incredible moment. And that is really what Yetzirah Mitzrayim was about, says the Degel Machne Ephraim. You may think that it was exaggerated for God to have created a situation where there were miracles, signs, mifsim, which happened in order so that the Egyptians should let the Jews out of Egypt. You may think, what was the point? God could just have allowed us out 
There could have been an exodus without this dog and pony show. Says the Degel Machne Ephraim. The point was not to prove it to the Egyptians. We'll never prove anything to the Egyptians. It's impossible to people to prove to people who believe in nonsense that nonsense isn't true. It's impossible. Don't bother arguing with them, by the way. Don't waste your time, your energy or your effort trying to convince people who believe nonsense that nonsense isn't true. But what should happen is that you as a person who believes in God should be able to take a step back and see on the basis of the reality of those who believe in nonsense that they are completely and utterly stupid in everything that they do that God exists, that the world is controlled by God, that everything that happens is the will of God. That should prove to you that their nonsense is nonsense and that truth is truth. So to those who may have been sucked in to the lies, to the fake news of Egypt, the miracles of the ten plagues and every aspect of the exodus from Egypt acted as a platform, as the springboard for belief and for faith that prepared us to accept the Torah on Har Sinai. That is what, that's what the Degel Machne Ephraim says. We're not talking about the Mitzrayim who were real Egyptians. We're talking about the Mitzrayim who were Jewish Egyptians. Do you, do you know a few Jewish Egyptians? I think you do. You know people who have so taken on board the culture of the country that they live in that actually they've, they've become those people. They've become Americans. They've become English. They've become French. I want to tell you a most fantastic vort, an idea that I heard from my late grandfather. It's beautiful. Last Shabbos, we said Birkata Chodesh. You know what Birkata Chodesh is? We bring in the new month, and in anticipation of Rosh Chodesh, we're about to have Rosh Chodesh Shvat. In anticipation of Rosh Chodesh, we have something called Birkata Chodesh, where we welcome the new month with a blessing of the month. And as part of that prayer, we say, Mi she'osa nisim laboiseinu. He, talking about God, who wrought miracles for our ancestors, who yigaloisonu bekoreiv. He should liberate us very soon. Vikabeitz nidocheinu me'arba kamfaisoretz. He should gather in those who are exiled from the four corners of the earth. That's the Jewish history that we all experienced. There are Jews in every country, in every territory. There are Jews of every persuasion. All Jews should be chaverim, should be friends, and then we say Amen. Said my grandfather, this phrase, 
this expression Chaveirim Kali Israel makes no sense. What do you mean Chaveirim Kali Israel? What, what, what are we saying? Of course, all Jews are friends. Why do we need to add that in to the prayer that we say in anticipation of the new month each month when we uh, anticipate the Rosh Chodesh that we are about to commemorate? Chaveirim Kali Israel. He said, "You know what? It's amazing." There's no Jew who like, likes any other Jew. Ask a Sephardi if he likes an Ashkenazi. <sighs> I don't like the Ashkenazim. They don't know what they're doing. Ask an Ashkenazi if he likes a Sephardi. Crazy? Sephardim? They're primitives. They go, who can't, can't take anything that they do seriously? They don't know what they're doing. By the way, there's plenty of Sephardim who don't like other Sephardim. Ask Syrians what they think of Iraqis. And ask Iraqis what they think of Moroccans. And ask Moroccans what they think of Algerians. They've got nothing positive to say about the Jews who live in Algeria if they come from Morocco. And the Jews of Iraq have nothing positive to say about the Jews who come from Morocco. That's by the Sephardim. But don't think the Ashkenazim are any better. I never met a German Jew, a Yekka, I grew up in a Yekka community, and anything positive to say about the Ostjuden. Do you know what the Ostjuden were? Ostjuden were people who came from the East. Polish Jews. We don't like the Polish Jews. We don't have anything to do with them. We, the Yekkas, have got it all worked out. We know exactly what it means to be a Jew, and the Ostjuden have got it wrong. So you'd think that, okay, the Ostjuden would have some respect for the Yekas. Now, Yekas is a Yekka Potts. He's an idiot. He's a Yekka. He comes from Germany. Nothing worth talking about. But by the way, the Polish also hated. The Polish hated the Galiziana, and the Galiziana hated the Hungarians, and the Hungarians hated the Romanians, and the Romanians hated the Russians. There's not a Jew who likes any other Jew. One second. Chaverim Kol Yisrael. Didn't we just say that all Jews love each other? How is it possible that every Jew hates every Jew? My grandfather said the very interesting thing. Listen to this. He said, what is it that the German Jew doesn't like about the Polish Jew? The Jew part is the same. Because the Polish Jew davens shachris, mincha, mariv. And the German Jew davens shachris, mincha, mariv. It's exactly the same. When it comes to sukkus, they sit in a sukkah if it doesn't matter if you come from Poland or if you come from Germany by the way it doesn't matter if you're an Ashkenaz or a Svard if you're Svard you also sit in the sukkah when it comes to Yom Kippur you fast right it makes a difference which background you come from if you come from North Africa if you come from um, Central Asia if you come from Northern Europe if you come from Eastern Europe it makes a difference you're going to fast in Yom Kippur it comes to Pesach you're going to eat matzah the Jew in the Jew is the same. It doesn't matter where they come from. So what is it that, that the German Jew doesn't like about the Polish Jew, or the Polish Jew doesn't like about the Hungarian Jew, or the Moroccan doesn't like about the Iraqi, or the Iraqi doesn't like about the Moroccan? Oh, I'll tell you. It's the Iraqi in them. We don't like the fact that they demonstrate cultural aspects of the country that they come from. That's what they don't, that's not liked about them. That's what they don't like. The Moroccan Jew doesn't like Iraqis. And Iraqis don't like Moroccans. And Germans don't like Polish. And Polish don't like Hungarians. And Hungarians don't like Russians. 
you know what we're davening for when we have Rosh Chodesh? Chaverim kol Yisrael. This is what my grandfather said. Do you know what we have to do? Misha osa nisim lavoisenu. By the way, you need miracles. He who made miracles for our ancestors, who yigal oisonu bekorev. May he liberate us all very soon. He should bring us all together from the four corners of the earth. May we all find the common denominator of the Yisrael. That should be the identity that we fixate on that becomes important to us when we find an affinity with another Jew. Don't fixate on the fact that they are Hungarian or American or English or Polish or Moroccan or Israeli or Iraqi or wherever they come from. Chaverim kol Yisrael v'noimar omein. That is the important aspect. By the way, what that means is that we need to examine ourselves if I am a British Jew and my Britishness takes precedence over my Jewishness, that means it's more evident in my personality and the way I behave than my devotion and dedication to my Jewish identity, then I've gone a bit overboard. It's not the fact that you were born in a particular place or come from a particular Jewish culture that should identify you as a Jew, your Jewishness should always be independent over any national or cultural identity. Chaverim kol Yisrael. The only way we are going to be able to have a kibbutz goliois, the only way we're going to be able to bring the Jewish nation together is if we have a union of Jews. The Jewishness Jewishness in us should be the most important aspect of who we are and what we represent. Chaverim kol Yisrael. And that's the vort of the Degel Machne Ephraim. That God wanted to prove to those who had taken on Egyptianness to the extent that they weren't able to differentiate between the Egyptian part of who they were and the Jewish part of who they were. God wanted to say to them, the Jewish part of who you are is much more important than any Egyptianness that you may have in the lives that you lead. And that was worth Eser Makois. That was worth splitting the Red Sea. It was so important. The Yodu Mitzrayim Ki Ani Hashem. The Mitzrayim in you needs to know that I am Hashem. To the extent that I will stretch out my arm, my hand, over Egypt. I will take out the Jew, the Bnei Yisrael, from the Egyptian that is somehow subduing them. And that is overtaking them. And that is dominating them. That was the message that God wanted to give to Moshe Rabbeinu that he needed to deliver to the Jewish nation, and that is the vort of the Degel Machne Ephraim. We now turn to the Nesiva Sholem. He begins 
with the Degel Machne Ephraim. And he says he's not entirely satisfied with the Degel Machne Ephraim's explanation of what, was it, what it was that happened. The fact that God was willing to perform all these incredible wonders and miracles for the Jewish nation so that they should know that they're not Egyptian and that they are Jewish. He said it doesn't make any sense. The Lichoira Adayin Koshe. He said the truth is it's still very puzzling. The Chibishvil Oisam Shekol Kachnis Avu he said, for those people who were so taken with their Egyptian identity, was it truly worth it for Hashem to prove to them that he was Hashem and that they were Jewish? Is it really worth it? That makes sense? How do we understand it? The Yeshle Farish, and he explains. In Matora, the Yud shall umala ha'aret deya es Hashem. Why did God create the world? It's a big question. I know wherever you are and you're listening or watching this, you're thinking to yourself, that's a big philosophical question. If you want to know what the essence of theology is, it why did God create the world? Says the Nesiva Shalom, there's a very simple answer. God created a world where denying his existence is possible and therefore Acknowledging his existence is incredibly important. Umala ha'aret deya es Hashem, the Pesach says. And that is, in fact, the root of our faith, of our belief that Mashiach will come. That ultimately, this world is slightly illusory. It's a bit of an illusion. The fact that we exist in this world is only as a preparation for the final moment, which is the messianic redemption, the messianic era. That's why we're all here. We think this world is real, but it's not really real. Everything is about faith in an ultimate reality, a reality where God's existence is so apparent that we don't even question it, and the messianic redemption. God created the world as a kind of journey. It's a bit of a conveyor belt. He created the world where God denial, Messiah denial, everything denial is possible. But ultimately, it's all leading in one direction. All roads, as it were, lead to Rome. Not to Rome, but to messianic redemption. They lead to an acknowledgement that the Messiah is the ultimate ideal. Why did God create the world? He created the world. His his ultimate, his elevated intention was, and this is why there was Yitzias Mitzrayim, why there was a redemption from Egypt, so that we should have the ultimate fixing, the fixing of this, as it were, this tension between spiritual and physical between material and godly. That's what creation is all about. God wanted to take the Jews out of Egypt. 
out of an Egypt which is the ultimate um, physical material reality to a point of time, to a point in place which is the ultimate in spiritual and faith reality which is Har Sinai. The loss is Torah and to give the Jewish people the Torah. That was God's intention with Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Laviyam el Har Sinai, the loss is Torah. The Habriya Tovay Latikuna. And with receiving the Torah, God's creation project, his experiment in creating the earth, will have been completed. The Omnam. Think about this, however. Had it not been for the sin of the golden calf, the weakness of humanity, humanity is represented by the most elevated nation that ever existed, the nation that accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai, and yet they still erred in terms of them accepting an egal as some type of medium between God and humanity, that dashed all hopes. As a result of the sin of the Egal, the Jewish nation fell from its elevated status. But says the Nesiva Shola, let's forget the Cheta Egal for a moment. Let's understand what God's direction was for humanity. By the way, I've said this very often, that God had a number of different plans for humanity. Plan A was Odom, right? Odom and Chava, that was plan A. It failed. Plan B was Noyach. Noyach, Noyach and his children, they were going to save humanity. That failed. Plan C was Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov. Didn't work for different reasons. Plan D, we're already at the fourth plan here. Plan D was the Jewish nation coming out of Egypt. It didn't work because of the Chet HaEgel. So you had plan D and now you go to plan E. Plan E is 40 years in the Midbar and Yehoshua takes them in the conquest of the promised land. I don't need to go on. I don't know what plan number we're up to now. But clearly God's plans... God's intent for humanity never quite panned out. And we, the weak human flesh, humanity, the human condition, have failed God time after time after time. But if we are to understand what the project plan was with the Etias Mitzrayim, it was a project plan of creating a nation from the midst of depravity, that could accept the Torah Mount Sinai. That's what it was all about. However, that was the end of the story. And the story continued, and there was a new plan after that. However, says the Nesiva Shalom, in order for them to be prepared for the plan, that was Mount Sinai after Egypt. They needed to be in Egypt. They needed to experience the Tumah of the land. And we know, and this is the history that we are familiar with, that Mitzrayim, that Egypt, was the ultimate source of Tumah, of impurity, of human depravity. 
לוקח נידרשו כל האוסויס והמוסים עד שגם מצרים יודו כאני השם. The only way to create a situation where humanity could be aware of God's plan was for that to be completely subdued, to be completely and utterly neutralized. For Egypt, which was the epitome of everything that God opposed and was anti-God, to be neutralized. And then, that, that even Egypt should know that I am God. We need to somehow completely subjugate, destroy, undermine the strength of Tumor so that we can experience the Tikkun HaGomor, the ultimate fixing of of the world. The whole purpose of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and it's something that is worth discussing and talking about when we sit down at Seder night this year, that the idea behind Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was not just that a nation should be liberated from slavery. It wasn't even just that the Jewish nation should receive the Torah and that the rest of the nations should suffer under the yoke of the chosen people. That's not the purpose. The purpose was to, it was to be a corrective moment in human history. Latikun HaGomor, says the Nesiva Sholem, the ultimate fixing of what it was that God wanted from creation. As God said at the covenant that we know as the Brisbane Absarim. You should surely know that your descendants will be strangers in a land that they do not know that doesn't belong to them. They will be enslaved and they will be persecuted. And afterwards they will emerge with a massive treasure. What are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that they, through their experience in Egypt, will emerge which is riches and wealth, gold and silver and stocks and uh, all the things that we consider the trappings of wealth. That's not what it means, Rechush Godel. What is Rechush Godel? Shegolus Mitzrayim lahoysa besibas chatol l'ratzais oinesh kol shuhu. The fact that they were slaves in Egypt was not because they'd somehow sinned and they needed to be go through purgatory in order to emerge from that sinful state. Veshivim nefesh tzadikim atoyim yodon Mitzrayim. We know that the 70 souls that descended to Egypt were tzadikim, they were righteous, and they were Tahirin, they were pure. That's not the reason they went to Egypt. God said to Abraham, If you want your children, your descendants, to be the chosen people, and through them, the creation, creation should come to its utter and complete fulfillment. Is that what you want? Of course that's what you want. Do you know what needs to happen? They need to go down. They need to descend into an Egypt. So that they can take control and they can subdue the physical and material reality of creation. That they can take control of it. Until they can become 
the chosen nation. And after the Jewish nation had been completely, they, they'd gone to Egypt and they become Egyptians. They had completely taken on board everything about Egyptian culture and we know that there are certain exclusions to that that they never changed their names, they never changed their language, they never changed their clothes, but ultimately they became Egyptians. They themselves, and we spoke about it last week, that 49th level of Tumah, they needed to emerge from that so that they could prepare the world for its ultimate fixing. The Zehoyo Inyan <coughs> and now we understand this entire concept of the ten makos. Why did the ten makos need to happen? Why did there need to be ten plagues? Why did nature need to be subverted in order to do this? It's never possible. This is such an important lesson. If there's one thing you take away from the shir, it should be this. It's impossible to uproot things which are negative in terms of your faith simply by using your mind it can only happen through practical reality things that you do that's the um, things that happen change reality things that you think about never change reality the only way that reality could change is if things change, if things happened. And therefore, in order to break, to completely destroy all the elements of impurity and uh, uh, and. Uh, um, badness shall mitzrayim that existed in, in Egypt. The only way that can happen is if there were physical, real things that happened to Egypt that completely undermined their narrative about the reality of the world. That was the only way it could happen. That's the only way it can happen. It's a powerful lesson for us. It's a powerful lesson about how we need to behave as Jews. We who exist in a new Golos. It's not that new, by the way. It's almost 2,000 years old. How are we meant to make a difference as Jews? How are we meant to make a difference as people of faith? Says the Nesivas Shalom. Do you know why the Esamakos happened? We need to take the Mitzrayim out of us. He's not disagreeing with the Degel Machne Ephraim, but he's saying, do you know why it makes it worthwhile? Because through our actions, through our activities, through the things that we do, we can change reality and we can cre create circumstances. We can create a platform, a foundation for the Geula Shalema, for the ultimate redemption, for the messianic era that we all hope for. How is the Messiah going to come? You need to do something different. You need to make it happen. There needs to be miracles. Those miracles may not be from God, but they'll be from you. They will happen because you made them happen. Because you made sure that you are a person of faith. You made sure that you believe. You made sure that your belief is so powerful and so strong that it affects and it has an influence on the people around you. 
Not just that you are a person of faith, but it has no relevance to the world in which you live, but that your faith in God, your belief in God, the fact that God permeates every aspect of your existence is something that that is a a reality for the people around you. You are an ambassador of faith. That is the message of the Nesivas Sholem. That is V'yodu Mitzrayim. That is what it means when it says V'yodu Mitzrayim ki ani Hashem. You must be an ambassador of Hashem to Mitzrayim. You must make sure the Mitzrayim knows that God exists. You must stretch out your hand over Egypt to make sure that your hand, the hand of faith, the hand of God is stretched out over Egypt, that it it inserts itself into the Egypt in which you live so that the liberation of the Jew, of the Yisrael, can come as a result of your actions from within the midst of the Mitzrayim that we live. We live in a Mitzrayim. We may be in a Golas that's called Golas Edoim. We may live wherever we live in the Western world. We may live in America. We may, may live in England. We may live in France. We may live in Australia. It doesn't matter where you live. You live in a Mitzrayim. V'yodu Mitzrayim ki ani Hashem. Your mission is that Mitzrayim needs to know ani Hashem, that God is God. And that you can be the agent that makes sure v'hoitzesi es b'nei Yisrael metoichom, that you can draw out the Jew from within the midst of Egypt. We'll leave it here. Thank you.